Hi, this is Dr. Josh. And Dr. Doug. And this is podcast number 14 for those of you playing along at home. It's been a little while since our last podcast and boy, a lot has happened. Um, We are currently working with several large unions locally for as many as 15 or 20,000 employees. So uh, I think direct primary care might really take a launch locally. I mean, that would be 20 or 30 different physicians. So a lot of great growth. And the nice thing about that, if we can prove that kind of model here uh, through pilot programs uh, and then grow that, uh, of course, that will prove that it can work anywhere, so to the benefit of everyone. A couple of those are, again, uh, manufacturing unions, school district unions, and uh, city municipalities. So those all represent key markets that could spread really across the country quite quickly, and that would help other physicians launch into their practices with the without the delay as they try to recruit patients, they could hit the ground running. We continue to work with more physicians uh, in various different states. Have a physician in Oklahoma who plans to do this uh, uh, rolling out really by April. So uh, you know, here pretty soon, uh, came out to see us and is very excited about uh, the model, the software, and uh, and really everything. Dr. Michael uh, in Missouri is launching March first. We have physicians in New Mexico, uh, I believe Verdosa, starting February 1st, and several coming in uh, in the next couple of months. Texas right now is a huge state for uh, physicians interested in direct primary care, so that, that's been great news. And there are really a lot of changes uh, in various different states, uh, and we'll talk about those here in a little bit, but um, mainly as it, as it applies to uh, prescribing and, and physician dispensing. Uh, I know a big one when I talked to uh, the folks in Arkansas, right now physicians can dispense in Arkansas but uh, have to go in front of the state medical board and uh, one of the reasons that uh, few do it uh, in the the way that it is currently uh, was basically explained to me because physicians a lot of times feel that it's too much effort, it's really not worth it, so uh, trying to go about changing that really didn't seem to make sense. Uh, of course, the software we've developed and the fact that we do it every day and have been for some time uh, proves that not only does it save patients money, it's very efficient, uh, it's cost effective, uh, and we're going to be working more on uh, some more states even. And we have a number of medical students now scheduling rotations, but also some of the local students from the University of Kansas who want to be involved in research projects. So that's going to be exciting. I think one of the things we'd like to show is that the in-house dispensing improves patient compliance while lowering the cost of care. So I think a lot of uh, benefit coming uh, down the pipeline. To continue to talk about states that are changing, we have physicians in Utah who in just a matter of weeks have uh, really rallied some of their legislative support to uh, put a bill in later this year that would allow physicians to dispense medicines. Utah is one of the six states that does not currently operate like Kansas does. So the other ones, uh, Texas is a big one where they, again, are are working on that. And I think in this legislative session, we'll see change there as well. And Uh, we've spoken to legislators in Michigan as well. Uh, They're very interested in this. You know, their their comment essentially is, you know, if, if we're going to be spending money as a state, why not do it as efficiently as possible? And 
we've shown time and time again that it doesn't get much more efficient than this. And they're actually getting a lot of bipartisan interest in how they can use this to improve Medicare or Medicaid. I think the idea might be as simple as vouchers to say if DPC truly does lower the cost of care, then the state has a vested interest in participating with that. Uh, if nothing else, it allows them to spread the dollars they have out further. So even if they don't lower their investment in Medicare Medicaid, they're getting a lot more for it. So to talk kind of on a, a main topic, we wanted to talk a little bit about why now uh, is as good a time as any to get into direct primary care. 2014 is going to be an amazing year. It's going to be a paradigm shift because all of the factors, I think, are teed up nicely to encourage all of the important players in healthcare to embrace the direct care model. It, everyone from insurance is looking for better ways to improve their premiums and their coverage. Employers are desperate to avoid 50 and 60 percent premium increases. Patients, of course, are always interested in better care for less money. But most importantly, I think physicians are afraid of what's coming down the pipeline. I think if the more insurance companies we can educate as to our actual goal, uh, the better that can be. As, as a matter of fact, uh, a physician in New Hampshire uh, was looking at doing something like this and was essentially sent a letter from an insurance company stating that they really didn't approve of what she was doing. Uh, this was uh, basically we notified the uh, governing bodies for family medicine and you know, the Academy of Family Physicians. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's a pretty unscrupulous business practice to essentially threaten a physician saying that, you know, how they practice medicine, especially for payment, when it's really outside of the insurance realm anyway, uh, it's kind of disturbing that, that that's the take because, again, we work very well with insurance companies and they tend to be even more profitable. So educating more and more insurance companies is always the goal and we continue to work on that. Thankfully, though, the AAFP was very aggressive in their defense of the physician, and I think we won't have a problem with that in the future, but it does highlight an important need to show insurance companies that direct primary care, when done right, improves the outlook for everybody. And even looking at <coughs> excuse me, the uh, deductibles, you know, when you look at the exchanges and the bronze plans with, you know, uh, over $6,000 worth of deductible coverage plus uh, sometimes a 40% copay, you know, you can have a uh, private insurance company, a, a custom plan, what we've created, that's considerably better than that and often less expensive. So I think what we'll see is uh, more physicians saying, how do I change how I practice so that I can keep practicing? I'm not young enough to retire, I'm not ready to give up my patient uh, access, but the insurance model is increasingly burdensome. ICD-10, of course, coming out later this year, and I'm sure you've all heard of the same things that we've heard, is that physicians should have up to six months of cash reserves on hand because of the expected delays in payments. Uh, hopefully it won't be that bad, but that still represents a significant burden to the physician and doesn't improve patient care. I actually spoke to a, a local podiatrist just yesterday uh, and out of curiosity, I asked their office manager how many patients a day they see. She said, well, it's kind of a slow time right now, so only about 60 a day, but usually it's, you know, between 60 and 80. Uh, and when I spoke to him, he said, you know, at the end of the day, 
he'll do three hours of dictation. So when I mentioned that I haven't coded anything for three years, he just kind of dropped his head and chuckled. And you can tell that a model of taking insurance reimbursement out of what he's doing and doing something more like this is, is more than just intriguing, it's life-altering. So the, the momentum, the inertia of health reform is just going to be a driving factor. Physicians should uh, take this opportunity to say now they can really advocate for their patients more than ever because they can embrace a model that allows better access, better care, all at lower prices, and while helping them answer the insurance question. So, and with all the changes, you know, some physicians are being warned with uh, changes to ICD-10, with the exchanges. Uh, some are being told to potentially have six months of revenue in reserve uh, because of potential delayed payments and accounts receivable. And, you know, many clinics are running essentially month to month, so six months of reserve is, is just not practical. So that's, again, doing something like this is a near instant stream of revenue. Uh, for when patients come in, when they're billed, and how they're billed. When done correctly, a practicing physician can transition their current three or four thousand patients over the five or six hundred very easily and be, if not sustainable, profitable almost as fast as the first month. Other physicians who are starting new clinics can work with employers to really capture a significant number of patients in a short amount of time. So I think we're past the days of doctors having to wait a year or two or three for their DPC practice to get full. Uh, Dr. Michael, our third physician, was up to a full income within five months, but we're adding 60 patients a day, uh, all based on word of mouth. So we want to emphasize that... Yeah, I'm sorry, 60 patients, patients a month. Yeah, not a day. That so, would be great, though. Um, and so, but emphasize that this is much easier than doctors suspect because, again, health reform is driving patients to this point. And those numbers, the five or 600, you know, for us, it was always looking at what do we feel is practical. If you've been out in practice for 20 years and you know your patients well, more patients than that is easily doable. If you already know them, you don't have to learn as much of their background, then you could easily take care of more patients. You just have to weigh how many patients a day are you seeing, what kind of quality can you provide. And, and for us, roughly, we see about one patient per day per 100 enrolled. So uh, five or 600 patients is five or six patients a day, roughly. Yeah, uh, and, and so it, it's very, very functional model. Uh, but of course, we're here to help. We know every doctor is going to do it a little bit different. Uh, they're going to tweak it for what they want from their practice, what their patients need, what their specialty is. So we want to always extend that uh, courtesy of feel free to contact us. We've been watching the market for 15 years now. So we've seen a lot of what works and a lot of what doesn't. And it's always nice to be able to help physicians and, and give them any advice that we can to make sure that they are more likely to be successful. One great example is a doctor in Maine who was going to charge a flat rate, uh, I think about $600 per year, but Doug had a great point for Well, $600 a year is still $50 a month, basically. But if that patient leaves after six months, let's say they move away, you're probably going to refund the other $300. Well, if that's the case, 
then you still have to have those extra $300 in reserve to give back. So people rarely pay for things on a yearly basis, you know, some insurances you will, but for things like this, gym memberships, Netflix, membership style uh, practices or membership style uh, businesses usually operate on a monthly basis because that's it's easy to consume and it's easy to understand. So just, again, try to think of what makes sense to the patient. We always try to keep it very simple, age-based pricing. Uh, we don't offer any uh, benefit for couples. Uh, our prices are very affordable, so it's easy for us to explain it's just based on age. Children are $10, and it's either $50, $75, or $100 for each adult uh, based on their age. So there is no complexity of trying to explain for a couple's discount or a family, because then you have to think, okay, well, how many is a family? If it's a family of four, what if I had another child? What if the head of the household changes? How do I bill for that? And it gets a little difficult. And so it also the monthly price makes it feel a lot lower to the patient. $50 or $10 palatable. They can understand that. They can budget for that. That's predictable. Uh, minimizing extra user fees and really just throwing a lot of value. But the fact that we're here and we've been doing this for a while now means that we have come across more problems we might be able to help. Uh, a good example is recently we had a physician who said that the, his local Walgreens wasn't taking coupons that we integrate into our software from GoodRx.com. Well, we know GoodRx, we've been using them for so long and haven't had that problem anywhere else that we called them up to investigate the issue and they told us without a doubt Walgreens is contractually obligated to take those coupons. So we were able to um, really advocate for our other physicians on a national scale and make sure that their local pharmacies were providing the best value to their patients. So we're all in this together and the more that we see, the more we can help each other. So any of you that do use GoodRx, when you print out those coupons kind of in the middle of the page on the right side, uh, it, there's a disclaimer that says, you know, if a pharmacist is having uh, trouble with it or doesn't understand it or doesn't see uh, what that's all about, there's a number that they can call to uh, kind of educate them, but again, the the parent company uh, does have a contract with Walmart, Walgreens, Dillon's, Target. So if they present that coupon, they are contractually obligated to honor it. So if there's any questions or problems, you can always email GoodRx, but like I said, there's a 1-800 number for the pharmacist right on the coupon. Moving on, uh, we're proud to continue the update releases for the Atlas CRM uh, EMR. Uh, we continue to improve it based on physicians' experiences. We've added a number of security features, uh, increased storage, we've increased the speed of the background software, but I think our favorite feature really so far in January is the macros. Now doctors can basically type in hashtag strep and drop in their entire strep note or any frequently used text so they can put in a template that speeds up their charting so that like the podiatrist you're not dictating for hours at the end of the day. That database also uh, hashtag search the ICD-9 database so physicians who want to search for that either by the name of the condition uh, diabetes or the number of the ICD code they can do that as well so that uh, they can track their patients charts in maybe more of a traditional way but that's a, a very significant time-saving feature for us and then uh, but but the quest part is 
Yeah, so we're integrating with uh, Quest Labs now. Uh, of course, we've mentioned LabCorp as well. Uh, once we uh, integrate Quest, LabCorp should come online fairly quickly, uh, but we can actually integrate that straight in. So for those of you uh, in areas with Quest Labs, Quest Diagnostics, uh, that'll come in very handy. Uh, again, dropping directly into the patient's chart, uh, requesting it uh, electronically, uh, and uh, because it's in the patient's chart, it gets uh, put right into their invoice, so uh, that doesn't have to be manually entered. So uh, incredible time savings there, and uh, shortly, again, should have LabCorp uh, also integrated. So uh, some big, big news there. Well, and as always, we're here 24-7 for support on that and training physicians. Uh, it only takes about an hour for us to walk physicians through the entire process. And we're also here to answer questions as they get started with billing and just the uniqueness of direct care. So anything that we can do. But we continue to encourage doctors and patients alike to visit IWantDirectCare.com. Of course, that's our site for proving the need that let patients and doctors put their pin on the map to show that they are in support of direct primary care. So you can contact us at hello at atlas.md, and you can also visit our blog at atlas.md slash blog. Uh, we continue to welcome, uh, if anybody has any questions for future podcasts, uh, please uh, shoot us an email, give us a call. Uh, we'd love to uh, continue to include some of those uh, in these uh, as we, we do these for, for your benefit. Uh, so the more questions you ask of us, the better we can mold these uh, informative sessions for you. And you're always welcome to visit the clinic if you'd like to call and schedule time to visit Wichita and see how the operation works. We're welcome to have anyone interested in, in the model. So Josh and I continue to travel as well. Josh is going to be going to Louisville for a uh, an AAPS meeting. Uh, there's another in May that I'll be attending in uh, uh, Minneapolis. Uh, I'm going to be going out to San Diego to the uh, a small conference meeting for the future of family medicine 2.0 uh, so should be trying to yeah. interject a little bit of direct primary care into there uh, and uh, again educate other physicians and uh, policymakers about how this can and does work. I'll be heading out to Nashville in April for a, uh, a National Association of Insurance Billers so that one might be fairly interesting uh, but also a, a conference in Atlanta for May 8th and 9th uh, on uh, direct primary care. And we'll be doing a local uh, presentation in April for uh, healthcare startups and entrepreneurs. So that one will be very fun as well. So uh, continue to follow us and let us know how we can help. But until the uh, 15th podcast, have a great day. Happy New Year.